Let's get psyched about reading again. In part one, David, Ella, and I talked about this book is full of spiders. We went from the beginning of the book till the massacre at Firth Asylum. When we recorded that podcast, we just did one video call and we talked for like two and a half hours. So I had to split it up into part one and part two. If you haven't heard part one yet, you should go back and listen to part one. It was really fun and we're picking up exactly where we left off. Just it cuts right in to where we left off. So this is gonna be the massacre at Firth Asylum to the end of the book. And uh, let's get psyched. DJ Psyched, and you're listening to the Get Psyched Podcast. Let's get psyched together. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about her journey to, yeah. to the quarantine? Definitely. I love that part. It was so great. With her being gone right before the fire, and then her coming back to the house being burnt down, and her just being confused. Yeah. Honestly, I felt terrible for Molly, like, for, like, the first chunk of it because she was cold, wet, and she was, like, meat smell never misses feeding time, and it's, uh, you can kind of tell that while she is, you know, acting all high and mighty, like, meat smell needs me, and I'm going to protect meat smell, she's also kind of like, but that's my human, I gotta, I gotta, (laughs) like, she loves him, he's believe it's the cutest scene ever. Like when Molly comes, like my favorite part of that whole scene is when Molly goes back to the house and everything's wet. So like she goes under the house because that's like the only dry spot. And she's like, if meat smell comes back, I'll let him sleep here too. Yeah, <laughs> it was so cute. Molly is the best dog in, in fiction. Yeah, or in real life too. <laughs> but that- dogs are pretty amazing. I'm just going to throw that out there. Molly... <laughs> Molly is so amazing for getting back to Dave, but what pisses, I know this scene pissed Ella off too, was when Molly actually made it back and he thought it was that girl and he was about to do it. Oh my God. Like, I'm like, bro, you are, uh, like, it, it not only is he cheating on his girl, but he is with her letting, like he is participating with her cheating on her fucking man who's in quarantine with him. Like if he found out he would have beat Dave's ass and Dave wouldn't have anything to say. <laughs> well, man, he wasn't cheating. He, he, he was open to the idea, but like they never pulled the trigger. Not- <laughs> <laughs> he was ready to cheat though. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't there. If she would have been there, he would have been like, oh. So, I'm sad. <laughs> in terms of crimes, he had conspiracy to cheat, but not the action. <laughs> it's still a terrible offense, but like, we don't need to hang the man by his thumbs yet. No, I was just, I, yeah. When I first read that, though, I was like, Dave, if that's a girl in your bed, you better be like, okay, no, it's not worth it. <laughs> like, but you're not Amy, though. I was very disappointed <laughs> when I read that he reached over. Uh, oh, I was just, yeah. <laughs> Dave's still cool. I don't hate Dave. I'm just saying. I was very disappointed in him. Yeah, same. Yeah. Like it was. I not- expected more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I know was- he knows better. But luckily, it was only Molly. Yeah. Everyone was very confused about how the hell a dog got into quarantine. And yeah. Owen wanted to shoot her. Yeah. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> Let's not be too hasty here. Like, what the hell is a dog going to do? Well, I mean, you see her stealing Dave's food. But I think that's the, the biggest atrocity she commits. 
Yeah. Mm. I think for a second they were trying to contemplate if Molly could have the parasite, but they're like, we don't have any proof this thing is going to attach to dogs. We can't just shoot a dog for no reason. Yeah. yeah. I think Dave said something about like, uh, like there's no way because it doesn't go into like small children and uh, animals. Because could you imagine a bear with the parasite in it? That would be, that would be horrible. Be terrifying. The world would have no chance. But yeah, so that, so uh, get to see Molly's point of view for how she gets to quarantine. I, doesn't she stay in like one spot for days smelling a single spot because there's like an interesting story with all the smells about like a possum. <gasps> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> he wastes all that time. So cute. He's like, before I knew it, it was nighttime again and I had to sleep. It's like, Molly, if you weren't so adorable. <laughs> relatable though you know sometimes get distracted for days doing something <laughs> easily just like what's that and then it's thursday like <laughs> yeah so we're kind of jumping around the story a little bit but that's just because there's so much happening here it's like impossible to talk about this book and stay sequential but like yeah. So we did already get to the part where like the massacres happen and like Dave's been pulled in by Owen he's like what are you doing and they're about to like kill him and he gets saved by Marconi Wait, so I think before we go into that, we need to backtrack a bit. It's so much. Yeah, we <laughs> have completely skipped over a very important plot point. Oh my God. John. And Falconer. Oh and, yeah. And then the soy sauce. And the sauce. That's just because there's so many perspectives. It's hard to stay sequential in this. It's not even really told in sequential order because it's like 12 hours early. Yeah, true. It's like five hours. Into, but so we catch up with John because he wakes up in a frat house, if I'm not mistaken. And then yeah. he steals, I think he steals one of their shoes because yeah. they find his. And so like, it's like eight sizes too big. Because <laughs> like, they're a bunch of like football and basketball players. So they got feet like this and he has foot like this. And, and he was like, they look new or something, but I'm sure they won't mind. <laughs> he's like, but they can have my old pair of shoes. It's like, it's an even trade, a pair for a pair. I think he says that he won't, that he's going to bring them back, which he does a lot in this in this book. Yeah him being forced to like take something from somebody he always they always make it a point to say that he's going that he wants to bring it back whether it's the tow truck the shoes and i think there was a third thing i can't remember what it was though i, I remember there being like three of them but anyways so he goes into quarantine and then he gets to meet up with dr Tennant, and then dr Tennant shows the most evil evil him that you can see up until this point where yeah oh my god yeah whoa i was asking john all those questions and then like uh he's like now imagine dave is a monster but you can't see it do you kill him and then he, and then he just keeps going on with these terrible terrible things and he's like uh i think the last one he says is about amy getting uh i i don't want to say it because yeah <laughs> Very much not good, but you guys know what's bad. Yeah, mm -hmm. very bad. I was offended. I was like, at like, offended. Oh. Like, if the, if you didn't already hate Tenet before then, you wanted him dead. Yeah, so badly. Yeah, I um, wanted him dead. <laughs> yeah, those questions were absolutely ridiculous. Howard John, oof. I would have killed him. Like, it's like grabbed him by his stupid hair that apparently has always come to perfection just slam his head like fuck you yeah. and then he ends it with like the number one thing that people can do to mess with you 
where he's like, you are now aware that your that your lower jaw has weight to it. Like, good day. It's like that one and the you are now aware that your tongue does not sit comfortably in your mouth. Like those things will always mess you up because it's something to do with like psychology of like things and like becoming aware of stuff. Yeah. Then you find out that Falconer is there. Yes. And then him and John start their adventure by planning a prison break where Falcon is like, listen, I'm going to distract as many of the officers as I can. Do you think you can cause a fire, a smoky fire, not a burning inferno, that will cause the alarms to go off and create some distractions so we can get out? And he's like, bro, I got this. I just love how before... Falconer even said, um, can you start a fire? He said something like hinting to that. And John's like, yeah, let's burn this bitch down. And Falconer's like, no, John, cannot burn this bitch down. (laughs) (laughs) And then he still burns the bitch down. I just love the jump cut that they do in it, where it's like, it's the conversation. And then all you, I think it jumps like 10 minutes ahead. And it's then we're running out and he's like, we're cans of liquid oxygen, you moron. <laughs> like, I didn't know. He's like, that's what the orange labels meant. I love how John just pleads like innocence because he's stupid. He's like, I didn't know. How was I supposed to know oxygen blows up? <laughs> and the, yeah. the that Falconer has to put up with while they're in that prison together because all you see like uh, John explaining he he explains a lot to Falconer while they're in the prison and like it makes a whole lot of sense to why Falconer is finally more willing to be like ah, I guess I have to work with you assholes to save the world he's like listen we're gonna do it my way but we're also gonna kind of let you do what you gotta do because apparently you're the key to getting us out of this shit show I just I just remembered my favorite line from John when um, Falconer's like, I'm going to bust out of here. He's like, I need to know if it's worth it to bring you with me. And John's like, what, you want to see some karate moves or something? Like, so <laughs> serious. <laughs> so- <laughs> I-, I can't believe I almost forgot about this whole part. There's just so much that happens in this book, but this is when he, like, shows Falconer the soy sauce. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. part's, like, insane. Like- That's once they break out and they go to Dave's house. Yeah. They run straight to Dave's house, and then he's like, listen, I want you to take this shovel, and I want you to place it into the ground at any random spot you can think of. I know where the sauce is, but I want to prove to you that this sauce is not normal. Yeah. And try to dig from wherever you feel like you think is a random spot. And Falconer just digs straight down from where he was standing, and lo and behold, the soy sauce was just there. Mm -hmm. And then in one of the coolest things to ever have yeah. in the series, you see John start to open it, but not all the way because he discovers a while ago that opening it up all the way is not a good idea if the sauce is awake, I think he puts yeah. it. And so you see him, uh, so you see like the string going, I think it goes in under his fingernail, doesn't it? No. I don't remember how it goes that in that time. the first one. But... Either way, the sauce goes in down, and then all you see is, uh, all they say is that he sees something in the corner of his eye. Because yeah. he was hearing footsteps the whole time, but he wasn't yeah. seeing anything. 
And then the footsteps got really closer. The sauce goes in. He's like, Falcon, what? And then time stops. Stops. Completely. Something we have never seen the sauce do ever. It stops time. And then he's over there like, oh, fuck. Because the monster is like about to pounce on Falcon. Like, it's like, what do you say? Like, two feet away from just slicing off his head. Yeah. Time's gonna start, the claw's gonna hit, and that's gonna be three G- GQ magazine looking pieces of falconer just spread out on the ground. Yeah. And it's just so cool. I love what they do with the salts in this book. It's amazing. It is. Yeah. Like the fact that he could like walk on smoke. That was so cool. That was cool. So clever. And like the fact that like little things in the air, like like a fly, rock hard, yeah, yeah, it 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 hurts like a gunshot. Yeah. Um, like the attention to detail because like you don't think about that stuff. Yeah. Frozen, like I don't think I've ever seen like a uh, a TV show or movie handle frozen time that way, where it's like, yeah. no, we can't move anything. Time is frozen. Yeah, it's not like it's super slowed down, but like completely like. like I, like, the blades of grass aren't even bending underneath his Yeah. Yeah. And I think he, I think he hurts his shin on, like, a newspaper he's walking. Yeah. When he's running, he just bangs his knee, his shin on a newspaper. But, so he's trying to figure out how to save Falconer. And his first idea is to just lean on him. Yeah. Hope that when time resumes, Falconer falls over, he can pull out his gun in time and shoot him. He finds out very fast that time is not going to start for that. I think he stands there for a couple hours and then time's just like, nah, I'm just gonna chill for a while. Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's explore the world, see what I can do. And he figures out more about what he can and can't move and do. Cause yeah. he's trying to walk and like he bumps into a fly, feels like he got shot, kicks the newspaper and it hurts. Yeah. And then he gets it to the quarantine and he's uh why does he decide to go in he wanted to make sure dave was there because he didn't know he was alive at this point yeah he He wanted to find dave okay so uh he eventually is trying to figure out like how to get in and of course the sauce isn't kind enough to like leave him like an open door because someone has been walking through no he has to climb on a cloud of smoke in the sky coming from the uh the campfire full of bodies they have in the quarantine and then not to mention the fact that he has to climb the tree they mentioned that if it was a few months ago when they still had leaves on the tree it he wouldn't be able to possible because i think they said that the leaves would have been stabbing his hand and he wouldn't have been able to do it but he makes it in and he sees dave mm-hmm. and it was such a heartwarming moment when he sees dave and all he can do is like just like go up to him and hope to god that he can hear him yeah and so i can't remember what he says to him but it's really sweet he's like dave i'm gonna bust you out of here and it's just so sweet and it's like you get to like, finally something good happens for john in the book because it had been nothing but clusterfuck after clusterfuck for him yeah, yeah. it was just and normally things work out for john like normally he has the <laughs> better luck out of them too like normally dave's the one that's always like yeah and John just somehow slips into the right thing to do. And everybody likes John, almost. Like, mm-hmm. you Every- people don't. Everyone hates Dave, but everyone loves John. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, my favorite thing about that scene right there was when John sees Molly's eating Dave's food right before time froze. Oh my God. And I love how after time freezes, like, I mean, after it unfreezes and like, like a couple minutes after, like he goes, damn it. I should have written a note on the wall with my shit. Like, shit. Yeah. This fucking shit. <laughs> because that goes into what happens next like he like even though it's like he's on this whole journey gets quarantined he kind of just walks back and then we see him back at the falconer scene and then time resumes and that's when we find out what he did after he ties the monster up with his clothes Mm -hmm. because they like they don't tell you what his plan was they're just like oh i figured it out and then like time unfreezes and the monster got pulled down and john is like naked (laughs) and he's like haha shoot him what are you waiting for shoot him Poor Falcon. He's just so confused and all. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Like transported. That scene was yeah. That scene was awesome. I also love how like like you know we said earlier Dave was like naked in his house. I love reading through these whole scenes and remembering that the whole time these two are just naked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in that beginning scene. Yeah. yeah. So then so then at that point like you know that's when that's when right after that that's when john and falconer end up running into the people and find out that there's a whole group of people in town who have like taken over since because of john's explosion and shit reapers jumped out and now the town's taking it upon themselves to try and control the situation mm-hmm. with undisclosed own crappy militia hey i thought it was badass i was like damn this town you know they're, they're doing the thing i it was pretty badass what they were doing, but like their methods were just hard. Yeah. Like, I mean, right, so you can take off a piece of your tongue or you can give me a tooth. Those are the only ways to clear yourself. And it's like, fuck you. And I love how their solution, because like, you know, like you said earlier, like I would like to believe the fire would have killed the, the spiders, but we'd have no idea. I love how their solution was to throw them, like just throw a person in a wood chipper, just throw them in. That's got to destroy it, won't it? Yeah. You know what? <laughs> To be fair, to be fair, we don't see any of the militia get turned from a from a spider yeah. that escapes the wood chipper. So obviously that's the real solution. Mm-hmm. For days, every house needs a wood chipper. Yep. Is that is my uh, that is my solution to all problems now. Wood chippers for and I love this part of the book because this is when we're finally getting those few moments where they're about to meet up because now Amy's like 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 we said, like Amy, Molly came into the trailer, Amy's there, and then Molly, Amy's going to follow Molly into the house, and that's when, she, like, the work she does there is going to directly affect what's happening while Dave's about to get executed, and then at the same moment, John and Falconer are trying to head towards that side of town with the mm-hmm. whole militia behind them, and she's... Um, um, John separates from the militia, like, soon after the meetup. Um, oh, and we should probably also mention, because it plays a big part in the ending, there. Uh, when Dave gets back to quarantine, they're, they're calling him Spider-Man, and he has to, you know, check all these people for Spider-Man. Yeah. One of the people that he has to check tries to escape by climbing the fence. Yeah. Shot by one of the drones, and yeah, that plays a big part in the ending because of what Amy does with the information she learns by getting uh, led to where she is by Molly, which is yep. amazing how it all just connects and the dots are there. Yeah. Yes, I want to know together. what, like, who, wh- how is Molly so powerful? <laughs> you know what? I just think, like, uh, like 
John said that that's God's dog. (laughs) That's God's dog. We're getting into my favorite Amy moment here too, because I love how like, like she was hesitant to follow Molly in obviously because she was scared. She just saw a bunch of people die in that place. And then Molly's like, let's go into the asylum. And let's she's- to the massacre location. We're going to have a great time. <laughs> and she oh. she does follow through eventually because she realizes she has no other option. And then she goes through the tunnel and instead of going back into quarantine, she like takes that turn and they end up inside of like a different part of the asylum. I just- love like so like and this is where we meet Anna again and Anna and Carlos blah 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 but I love the part where she gets into the computer system and her first thought is let me find this person's like 13 year old daughter on Instagram and like Facebook or something I think and and let's message her on Facebook and see if I can get some intel like I love that that's her move as like the the tech genius of the group it's like (laughs) so I love the way that she gets into the computer too where she like there are (laughs) Only like what she said, like two or three passwords. Three, yeah. Three passwords that a person can remember comfortably before you have to start writing them down. It's so yeah. funny because it's so true. Like yeah. my office and my desk. <laughs> it's because like I have like a couple passwords that I try to use for like everything, but like I have variations of the password where it's like Same. for this website, this letter is capitalized and I have this random thing at the oh end. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's like it's always the same basis though, but like so when she gets into the computers and she sees the report on on the guy that they shot not being a Zulu, that oh yeah, by the way, that's what they're calling the uh, the, the infected because because like a genius, they explain it at the end. They used a Z word to in, to spark the fear of zombies because because zombies ooh, but like. If you think about it, it was so genius because you had the guy with 25 years of experience and global panic and paranoia. And he's like, yeah, we'll name it the Zulu virus because yeah. the word association, obviously people are going to be thinking zombie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she, uh, so she finds out that it wasn't a Zulu and that, uh, that the guy who shot him was reprimanded for it. And that's when she finds out his name and then she's like, you know what? I'm gonna go find this man on Facebook. And then she finds out that he has a daughter who, like most 13 year olds, has been set to private. Like, (laughs) I mean, when I was 13, I was the same way though. Like, now I'm way more like private with what I do. But it's like, when I was 13, I was like, yeah, we can be friends. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who randomly friended me at two o'clock in the morning on Facebook. Gosh. And the conversation she has with uh with the girl is is kind of kind of sad because she, like you can feel that the girl hates that her dad has this job and that the dad hates the job too because she constantly says my dad is always tired he's always upset and like just explaining all this stuff about him and then which makes sense as to why he would do what he does later on in the yeah after he gets that information I think that's a really good point because like we said like earlier, like my favorite line in the book is when he talks about like, why, why would I go to work in the middle of the apocalypse? Cause the world doesn't stop turning. It's like, you get that reality that like, even though it seems like Reaper and the CDC are all against them, the people who are actually like working for these orgs, the ones that aren't the pawns or like the shadow people, they're just people and they hate their job mm-hmm. too, but they need to pay rent. They're just doing yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Hey, I got to go work my nine to five so I can pay the rent. To hell with the zombies out there. <laughs> if they're going to come in here and buy some seafood, let's, let's do it. Exactly. But it's hard to tell, like, 
like I I'm pretty sure everybody in Reaper is like not like they're all not there they're like monsters right because then they hint at that when yeah talking to the three of them like you made three assumptions when you made that statement one that the men behind you could hear you two that the men behind you had ears and three that the men behind you were men at all yeah and then Bow's gonna rip off his mask (laughs) (laughs) like a badass like a badass yeah everyone's so badass in this book but we find out at the end why that is because like (laughs) just like the first book once the story ends (laughs) like i actually don't know what maybe this is not at all what happened we don't know because he admits at the end that he just bullshitted half of it yeah and every time that they talk about like falconer coming in they always say like oh he was just like he's ready for the cover of a magazine (laughs) (laughs) the gq cover man himself the man who looks like he was cut straight out of men's health and wellness the and I feel like they said he had different kinds of cars. Like one oh. one second he had a Porsche. He always had a Porsche until the end when he says, "It make me make me drive a Porsche," and then he's like, "What?" He's like, "Cause Porsches are cool." And then he says, "What the Alex Cross?" He's like, "Alex Cross drives a Porsche," and he's like, "Who's that?" <laughs> then he's like, "You know what? Now that I look at it, I think it was a Ferrari." That's the only oh time he God. actually changes what uh, kind of car it is. Yeah. <laughs> Like I kept looking through it because like I knew that he was lying. Like after you read it the first time, you start looking for like little details about Falconer that yeah. can lead you to see what he actually is or who he actually is. And it's like I wanted to know so badly. I could have sworn that he, that like they slip up and say it once, but they don't. Because like in this read through, I was like scanning for it hard. I was like, mm-hmm. come on, I know you're driving like some beat up Chevy Cruze or something. Give me something. But no, it's a Porsche and then a Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so at this point in the story, like, okay, John is on his own. He's in that. He's in the car, and the one that he had, he had the caddy, and then he had the um, the pickup that had the caddy on the back of it. Tow truck, yeah. The tow truck, yeah. And then Dave is going to get executed, but then Marconi comes and takes him out to talk to him, and Amy's in there doing that work. I want to talk about the part with Marconi because like once again, we get Marconi dropping some wisdom and making statements because this is when he brings up like, well, our eyes deceive us. Like we'll only believe things when we see it. And then he also talks about the sacrifice. The Babel threshold. Oh, the the yeah. threshold being used in this, uh, in this book was so good because like it's not really something I knew too much about when, when I read the book because, you know, it, it's something that I heard about even now in a couple classes, but like it never really interested me. But like, the way they they describe it and show it in this book, like you really get the feeling like, oh shit. Like, yeah, it is like that. Like Celtics fans versus Miami Heat fans. You have Republicans versus Democrats. You have Oreo versus Chips Ahoy. You have Coke and Pepsi. Like everyone feels like they need to divide people into groups just so that they can familiarize themselves with whom they can relate to more. Like, like they, they look at it like, well, I mean, you're an Xbox, I'm a PlayStation obviously you know stay over there you don't need to do that like yeah it's so ingrained in our moral philosophies for like who we are as people like the genetics that we were born with just screwed us over yeah yeah i thought that was like crazy to read is that true like the whole like you can only care about 200 people thing the number is i'm not yeah it's made up or not but like it is true that like that's why you know everything is always split up into like yeah 
And I don't like, yeah, I think the number is probably not like totally legit. I mean, everything we know about psychology is all just based on us observing things anyway. So you can't really say anything's fully legit. But I thought that part was so cool because as like a former psych major, that's why I'm DJ psyched. As a former psych major, I thought it was really neat, like connecting these dots with things I learned in social psychology, because there is a thing called the minimal group effect, which is people's tendencies to put people in categories that make us us versus them, right? Because we're always trying to categorize people like that. And that's kind of what they're talking about here. There's like, there's us, like this is the group of us. And then the, yeah. Yeah, there's them like it's easy for us to like make stereotypes about people because they're not a part of us that's them and that's what they're doing with the zombies like oh i'm not a zombie that's them they're not real people yeah which is why like i, I think marconi says it best when he says that's why you feel worse about your girlfriend getting a paper cut than a family in iran getting shot down by a militia yeah it's, it's so true because like you hear all these sad things on the news and then you're like well that sucks but the second, like, someone you actually, you know, know and care about personally stubs their toe on the corner of a table, like, <laughs> the world stops for you. <laughs> like, it's just insanity, like, how real David Wong got with this section in the book. Like, he had something to say, and by God, he said it. Yeah. And, Dave, like, honestly, it blows my mind. David Wong's not just an amazing author. He's really, like, multidimensional. He's smart. Like, the stuff he talks about in his books, yeah. it's legit stuff. It's he ties together like psychology and science and all this legit shit to make his story like blow your mind. Yeah. And it so well. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he's talking to Marconi, he learns about the sacrifice that's needed, right? Marconi says there needs to be a sacrifice to end yes. this thing. Doesn't he say that's the only way to beat the, the, the Babel threshold? Yeah. To be a sacrifice for the whole world to unite around. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Just, oh damn that sacrifice <laughs> yeah we'll get to the sacrifice in a little well, before we go on do you guys agree with that like do you think that like the only way to beat that kind of mentality is for there to be maybe not a sacrifice per se but like for there to be a uh, a huge a huge moment like sacrifice would be the best example of it but like let's say people unite around like modern marvels like the first skyscraper to ever be built yeah. everyone came together to admire the fact that it was built uh when like someone really important dies everyone marvels around it to come together and it's like we can all appreciate what they've done like like do you think that like they were like real with that can i get real here i think a hundred percent there has to be something to unite people because we are literally in the middle of a global pandemic there have been plenty of like like bad things that have happened and there are still people who will actively say that this stuff isn't real or there's people who like are not with it because they haven't been directly affected but there are people around the world dying there has been multitudes of tragedies around this but there are still people who are not going to admit it because they themselves oh my friend's been fine oh yeah my family's been fine and so i think yeah 100 percent. if people don't directly feel the effect they're just gonna ignore it who cares mm -hmm. I agree. <laughs> I honestly thought when this whole thing first started that everyone that it was gonna go this way where everyone's like, oh, it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people are, but like, I feel like the first time we get like, like a major debt from this sort of thing, like, like the first time some like someone can actually step back and be like, oh shit, they like someone crazy important just catches it and they don't make it like i'm not wishing that upon anybody yeah yeah but like i feel like that's going to be like the only thing that can snap people out of this this mindset where it's like 
virus virus it ain't happening to me that's that's over there that's that's what guys like i mean because you still have people not wearing masks you still have people going out and just doing the stuff that they should probably not be doing you still have people saying it's going to be over after the election oh that kills me (laughs) i could hear that (laughs) that hurt that like really yes we we faked an entire pandemic globally mind you just for an election maybe that'll be what gets not everyone but maybe that'll be what gets people like here in america who are saying that because once the election happens and we're still in a pandemic maybe they'll understand it wasn't a fucking political move and honestly who benefit like whose side does it benefit because if it's so I don't know. Conspiracies. But yeah, I, I do think the sacrifice thing, it's necessary, right? Because people will always detach themselves from the tragedy if it doesn't yeah. affect them. Like, mm-hmm. But in some ways, like, that's sort of like a, a, not a, I won't say a decent coping mechanism, but it is a very popular coping mechanism. This Especially is- now. Mm-hmm. Now it's, oh my God, like you hear so much more about all the fucking terrifying stuff that's actually happening. With so the like, way the world is, like, disassociation yeah. has become just a normal part of your everyday life. It's like, well, 7,000 people just died overseas, but things are great over here. It's like, you can't help but to, you know, and I guess you could look at it like you're thinking on the bright side of it, but also it's so hard to rationalize that the shit's not going on. But yeah. like association is the only way to not go insane from it. That's mm-hmm. true. So yeah, <laughs> that's what's going on in the book. The sacrifice. <laughs> the sacrifice. And yeah, I mean, I, that, that's what I like about this book series though, because it is so silly and it's funny and John's funny. And then there's also like the gore, but also it gets so real. It gets yeah. too real. Too real, honestly, for right now. <laughs> Like this book totally did different with like everything going on in the world today. It yeah. did different. Exactly. I hope it's I hope I hope like if my kids read this twenty years from now that they're not like, Oh my god, it's so similar to like Oh god, could you alive. It's so applicable, especially the part where Marconi does say, like, our eyes deceive us. We think that just like like our eyes, we only can see what's happening right in front of us. We can barely see everything that's happening right in front of us, but we still rely on our eyes. Doesn't he say that God's greatest trick on the on the world was giving us eyes to see? Yeah, because like, like you can only like you have two tiny little things on your face that you see through. But you experience so much other things from so many other senses (laughs) but your eyes will deceive you because people like you know like like he says like he's like you do have other senses but you're relying on your eyes and that's the problem like uh like in the first book with arnie and how he had to take him to the back of the truck and say listen look in your peripheral vision and keep an open mind because when you look at it straight on your eyes will deceive you into seeing nothing when in reality one of the wig monsters was just chilling in the back of the in the truck in a cage like it's it all correlates so well because like that's something that more company had to learn in the first book about his eyes deceiving him and so the fact that he's taking that lesson and implementing it better into the second book to pass on his knowledge to dave i say pass on like he died he didn't <laughs> but like i kind of love the mentor role that he takes in this moment where he's like 
showing Dave everything that he's been doing right and everything that he's been doing wrong. Like, listen, while it's amazing your abilities, I don't want them. You can yeah. them. You can have them. I don't <laughs> want them. And you can't even really use them properly because there are other ways for the spiders to get through. And they talk about how there were a bunch of patients coming in complaining of diarrhea. Yeah. Hinting that the spiders don't have to necessarily go in through the mouth. They can also go in through the uh, <laughs> other, uh, other places. Yeah. Like, okay, so now we've exited that scene with Marconi's talking to Dave. This is when another crazy shit happens because John's back in the caddy with the what is it? What'd you say it was the pickup truck? No, the, the tow truck. It's the tow truck. It's the tow truck with the flatbed that lowers and that lowers like a ramp. And fucking John couldn't figure it out till like right yeah. now. He had been driving that thing around for a minute. <laughs> yeah, it was so stupid that he couldn't he because he was just playing with the levers and all of a sudden he goes, Oh, and this has the greatest idea in the world. I had no idea that, like, <laughs> you didn't think you, would you didn't see that coming. No, not at all. <laughs> well, our our amazing friend John lowers the flatbed, and then he goes back. Goes. He's back. outside of the the yeah. hospital right now. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's lined it up perfectly. He drives far away, and then he picks up a crazy amount of speed. Credence Clearwater Revival blasting on the stereo, as it always does. Because oh, my God. I wanted to throw that out there. He ramps it. He gets fully over the first fence, clips the second fence, and lands directly on the campfire. And then and then you kind of hear that moment from, from Dave's point of view, because he's like, hang on, are they having a block party out there? Yeah. Water revival. And I think it's getting louder. And then like you can kind of see it snap in his head, like, oh shit, that's John. Oh shit. <laughs> and like he's about to be executed. And he's like, listen. Literally. Owen's being an asshole, like nobody in their right mind is coming down here to even defend you, bro. Yeah. Is an Owen has to end every sentence with the word bro. Bro, bro. oh my God. <laughs> he pissed. Bro. Ooh, uh, came down here to defend bro. you. I'm like, bro, shut up. <laughs> and then uh, when John gets out, I think he says, Did somebody order some prison escape with a oh fucking shotgun? <laughs> John's ridiculous. I love John so much. Was and anyone else blown away by the fact that they were able to use the car that fell into the campfire? Yes, I was. I like I. I thought John was gonna like jump out of the car or something before the car hit the ground because like when you think about accidents and stuff, yeah. you think about like airbags and things. <laughs> but I guess his didn't have any. To be fair, that car was like a piece of shit that they were yeah. going to grab. I doubt that it was up to safety code yeah. with bags and stuff. I didn't think about the safety. I just thought the car's never going to fucking move again after that. But no, I was yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just like, so it, if it was, if it landed directly on the fire and the fire was still burning, that car should have exploded because yeah. it would have very easily gotten to the fuel tank, which sits right underneath the <laughs> Right where the fire is, but hey, it's a book, you know, you gotta suspend. Maybe the force of the fall, like, 
destroyed Blew the, the fire. fire out. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. We'll just say that's probably the biggest plot hole in this book. <laughs> yeah. That John didn't die the moment he landed in there in that car. <laughs> biggest plot hole that throughout these two books, John hasn't died at the end. Yeah, okay. Okay, I just have to bring this little point in because the first time I read this book series, I was every corner, every scene, I was like, John's dying. John's dying. When's John going to die? Because the name of the book series, I was like, John hasn't died yet, but he's going to die. John dies at the end. Oh, did you notice that in the first book? I'm sorry. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> no, no. I'm not saying he does. I'm not going to tell you if he does or doesn't. I'm just going <laughs> to say, no, he... Because of the title, you would assume John dies at the end. But Dave and I can t- David and I can tell you right now that we're not going to confirm whether he dies or not. It's not for certain that he will die. There's still a fourth book coming up. We don't even know if he's going to die. So he hasn't died in the third book. Yeah, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> but, so did y'all notice in the first book, actually titled John Dies at the End. Yeah. Everybody except for John dies. David dies. There's a clone of Amy that dies. There's a clone of Molly that dies. John is the only one from the main group that does not experience death in some form or another. John's the only one that doesn't die at the end. <laughs> I just, I, when I noticed that, it blew my mind whole. Damn. Crazy. Yeah. I didn't make that connection, but I did like the Same. first time I was reading this, I, I was waiting. I remember I used to bug David so much about it. Which this is kind of confusing because it's like Dave Wong and then David. But I'm talking about David here in the podcast. I used, <laughs> I used to like all the time be like, David, is he going to die or not? He's like, just read the book. <laughs> Watching you go through the book series the first time was honestly a treat. Because <laughs> I remember when I went through it, I had Zach to ask those questions you yeah. asked. Me. <laughs> then, and then me and Zach got you into, into it. <laughs> now, so you were asking us those questions. <laughs> You've gotten Ella into the wormhole, so now she's asking. <laughs> yeah. It all comes full circle. It's, it's a great feeling. So that's, this means, okay, and then we'll get back to the story in a second, but this means, Ella, you have to get someone else to read the series. You have to continue the cycle. Like, okay. Like We're going to single-handedly build him an even bigger fan base on our side of the world. Yep, I, I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> I already talk about it a lot. My friends just don't read, but I'll, I'll convince someone. Give them the, just like, just like tell them to get the audiobook because the production quality on the audiobooks is so good. Like, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Like, I'll listen to it in the car if I'm bored. I'm just like, eh, I got, I got a 30 minute drive. Let's listen to a couple chapters from John Box at the end. <laughs> okay. Well, jump me back into the story. Once again. So now we're, now John's in quarantine. Take it from there. Uh, John's in the quarantine and okay so this is when we find out that John and Owen know each other mm-hmm. and then he's like yeah I told you I was working for him I was uh, setting up the stage for him and then he's like oh yeah Owen by the way was that last check sent out before the uh, <laughs> or are we kind of screwed oh 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 so this was uh this was something that I didn't notice until this most recent read through you can, you find TJ in the beginning of the book. TJ's there at the beginning of the book because you remember how they said he was uh, uh he said he was an army guy who yeah. was quarantine. Yeah, you see him doing army stuff, and then you see him later on in the quarantine. I can't remember exactly which part it is. I want to say it's right around the fire. 
but I'm oh, okay. sure because I can't remember exactly when the army comes in. But wait, no. Hospital? Was, yes. I think he was at the hospital. And then, like, oh, yeah. They show. Completely they show, didn't mention the hospital. <laughs> this is too much to mention from this book. Just real quick, there was a scene at the hospital <laughs> where Frankie gets infected at first. They drive him to the hospital. There's a big shootout between them trying to kill him and then him murdering a bunch of people. And that's how he escapes and then they're trying to start to quarantine the town because of all that stuff john and dave get out and yeah, the hospital thing happened before they burned the house down yeah that was like that was like the first big problem because that was right after frankie had uh stopped and checked on dave yeah and they didn't know frankie was gonna fucking mutate like that <laughs> fucking frankie but anyways fucking I'm, frankie fucking frankie <laughs> So, uh, where were we in the book? We're at, uh... John's John just quarantine. got in the quarantine. Okay, so he talks with Owen, and then, uh, him and Dave get into the car, and then they're, like, about to leave, and then Marconi's like, remember, Dave, the sacrifice. Yeah. Then, like, he's being all cryptic and shit, the, the usual Marconi spiel, and so they leave, and then they're catching up with each other, and then... Dave, I think John explains to Dave about the uh, soy sauce experience that he went through, like a yeah. little bit. Where he's like, "I saw you in here, so I had to get you out." And then, like, I don't think he tells him that time froze until like the end. But, what happens again? Yeah, and so they get out, and then they see one of the big tanks. Yeah, outside, point the gun at them, and they both dive out of the car, but nothing happens. We find out why later. But they start running for their lives because the, the all of a sudden the tanks aren't killing them. They are not tearing them to shreds. They end up getting, they end up heading towards, I believe the tuberculosis, the tuberculosis war, don't they? Yeah, because they're trying to get to a door, right? Yeah, and, and there's a whole ass mob following them. <laughs> so they get to a door. And then the mob is following them because they're like, because they think that some uh, Zulus have breached the quarantine. The mob is following them. They head to a door. It takes them to the tuberculosis ward where they, where the mob ends up finding them because they were only like half a mile away. And so they end up diving in and that's where they uh, find Anna who uh, helps them get downstairs by creeping everyone the hell out <laughs> by like we need to take the elevator yeah and then she's like well i'm not taking the stairs and one of you has to stay with me so john's like well i have the shotgun oh yeah john has his custom made was it four barreled shotgun three-barreled. yeah is it three or four i think it's three well we'll go with three but <laughs> has an insane shotgun that he had custom made and they're heading down and then they make a funny joke about uh they're they're running and then Dave said something super depressing and then John's like can you fucking check one of these boxes for some antidepressants you're bumming me out (laughs) that was one of my favorite John lines and then the best part of all that, though, is when they start talking about their rules because they've gone through so much fuck shit and undisclosed that he's like, you don't go into a place that you can't get out of. He's like, because I think there were three rules or something. It's like, don't go into a place where you don't have a quick exit. Don't be out 
when it's dark and something about like no alleyways. Yeah. And, and it, it helps build the town up and like because you you know what goes on yeah the books like we know what happens in this town but for and the, the townspeople know but they just refuse to acknowledge it yeah and they all have these unspoken rules that keep them all alive which mm-hmm. is insanely clever and i love it <laughs> so eventually they meet up with anna and john makes uh makes a decision to go through the stairs and then uh, he says that he has that they come up with a plan for like wait this many seconds and then do this and then John's like yeah and you only have to live survive for two minutes against an eight year old I'm sure you'll be fine yeah. apparently he doesn't know that Anna is not just your average yeah like, I think Dave David does have some like he doesn't think that she's normal but he doesn't know what it is exactly because yeah. remember he was talking to her when he was in the tuberculosis ward yeah. at first. I think when they when they meet up with Anna this time, I think the first thing Dave says is for John to shoot her. Yeah. And then John's like, I'm not too comfortable with shooting a toddler. So <laughs> talking this one out. Yeah. yeah. So they get on the elevator, the lights go out. And then uh, Anna gets really scared and Dave gets really scared. And I think Dave like screams. And Doesn't then, he feel like a tentacle? Yeah. yeah hand starts he was to, holding her hand yeah he was holding her hand and it turns into a tentacle and then like i think he drops it which makes her freak out more because she can't feel walt anymore because she can't hear his name probably so she calls him walt, walt. and so uh eventually the lights come back on john and dave was like screaming like a baby and then when the elevator opens back up and john's down there he just sees a toddler and dave and then he's like are you stupid? <laughs> and then at this point, uh, Anna's like, okay, Aunt Amy is right through those doors. And then they get there. And then it's a really sweet reunion where, yeah. uh, where you get to see Dave and Amy finally get to, you know, hug and kiss and, you know, be safe in each other's arms again, because that's what they had both been working towards for the entirety of the book. Yeah. It was it was really sweet to see it and like they, they squished a bag of popcorn and then like Josh is kind of there with his with his shotgun. Right before you get to that moment though, the moment that I thought was so cute was like right before he opened it, Dave was like pretty sure in his head because he just felt the tentacles. He knew he was right about her. He's like, oh, like Amy's behind that door. He's assuming that she's dead. And he's like, whatever happens, at least I'll be with Amy. Like he's about to accept death because he's like, at least that's how I get to Amy. He yeah. accepted his fate. He's like, whatever happens, as long as I'm with Amy, I <laughs> And like, that was really sweet. Mm-hmm. And crazy, but yeah, sweet too. <laughs> like, there are, there are people that have thought crazier things about loved ones, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, I can't you. Yeah, it's... I like that moment. But then that moment, that moment is so cool too, because like, once they finally all reunite, it kind of becomes that thing where they're like, okay, so what the fuck have you been up to? <laughs> Yeah. How did you get here? And step Amy's up. got a whole little work set up. Like, <laughs> made that place into her home. I mean, coffee yeah. and food. Coffee just think about monitor set up. Like, it's great. The journey to get there was nasty. Like, she was <laughs> like in a bunch of nasty shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, I can't remember. Molly's there, but I don't know if she's like. Somehow. <laughs> Because she, she, she was the one that let Amy. 
Oh, yeah. But she, like, leaves at some point. Yeah, I think she left at some point. She, she does. You know what? Special dog. She's Special dog, yeah. She just comes and goes as she pleases. So you see, um, I think what happens next is you hear the lock start to move. Like, mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, oh, no, Amy explains. The lights go out. Hang on. I think Amy explains how, yeah. why the guns weren't firing at them when they had gotten out of the car because she had found a setting to turn the guns off so that the, uh, so that they could be refueled many. Yeah. They all have to be refueled by hand. And if they were set to automatically kill anything that moves, they would be screwed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she found that setting, changed all of them to that, and now they're safe. And she also explains everything that she did with, uh, I can't, her, the, the kid's name is Heaven, I think it's Nevaeh. The Heaven little, spelled backwards. Oh, okay, yeah. Heaven spelled backwards. And I can't, I, I can't believe I remember her name, but I can't remember the dad's name. Yeah, neither do I. But, uh, so I think then the lights go out and then we hear the, and then John is like pointing the shotgun at random things. Dave's freaking out because he thinks that Anna's about to like kill them all. And then like all they hear is the lock turn, the door open. And then in comes Mr. Carlos, one of the yeah. characters in this whole book because like he presents like a very different point of view on like how the outbreak is to the people who have been living with this for years. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're fine, but Reaper made this sound wave that can trigger the monsters in us and we can't control them because he explains normally he can control it by just telling that cockroach to get back in its spot. But with that, uh, with that, it's like a dog whistle type noise but it's like only for those monsters to hear and it just causes them to freak out and yeah. he's explaining all of that and then they get into the conversation about do you want do you really want to know who's a monster and who's not yeah i think all of that is after uh <laughs> anna like attacks dave sort of yeah she, she attacks everyone <laughs> she, she really only like strangles dave a little bit like John was fine. He was he was pointing the shotgun straight at Dave's face. Yeah. <laughs> and then I remember Amy said, Davey's got me. And then like the door opened. Yeah. And then she was upset. <laughs> she was like, Dave hurt me. <laughs> then Carlos is like, apologize. And then she's like, she says some like non-heartfelt apology. And then Carlos is like, Do you accept her apology as gracious and unrealistic as it was? And then she's like, I'm sorry, Walt. It's so cute. Like, it's, it's exactly how you would expect a toddler to react in that situation. Yeah. It was cute. It was adorable. Mm-hmm. It's a toddler. She didn't have Mr. Bear. Yeah. It was cute. And then, like, out of that whole conversation, like, long story short, they end up deciding that, like, they need to go... Like they they realized that for them what they think was was gonna work to to stop the bombing that's about to happen to the entire undisclosed area to yeah. knock all this out they realized that like oh well if we could just turn off the thing that's shutting off the signals if everyone could just post online that we're legit because like that's how you know like they just believe that if they were to show the whole world that they're people that then mm-hmm. people would decide not to bomb them so yeah. then because everybody thinks that they're all zombies in that town yeah. since everybody has to evacuate like raper and all of them. 
So now they're on this like mission to go shut that thing off so that they could, you know, get their plan going. They have what, like 10 minutes till the bombing or something? It's it's pretty, they cut it pretty close, yeah. There's somewhere between like 30 and 10 because I, I know by the time they get to the, uh, to where the people are again, or like, no, by the time they get to Tenet, they have like 30 minutes left. And then by the time they get to like where the mob is again, that's when they only have like 10 minutes. And this and this is something I want to bring up too, because like you bring a good point by how close we are to the bombing, because they're getting desperate at this point. They need to get there as soon as possible. They are hauling ass and they open the box and they explain that they've got it open before. Yes, the box, the box, the <laughs> box. So we find out that the box can be open and that they never lied about it. There yeah. is visible latch unless you're on the sauce yeah and the only person who can open it is amy because she is an amputee and she has the phantom limb syndrome yes i know what you're making i that know part. i'm like i love this part i love this part <laughs> so they uh so they they go into a flashback where they explain what the what the thing does and how in Dave's hands, that thing is deadly. He calls it Inferno that blinds them for a couple hours. Yeah. How bright a ball of light he causes. And then, uh, of course, you see John using it too. And like, he he makes like, a, he makes corn show up and he's like, I will solve world hunger. <laughs> and then he makes mashed potatoes show up and he's like, I can still solve <laughs> hunger. Yeah. And then I think, doesn't it turn doesn't it turn into a giant dick at one point yeah like, i think so yeah. yeah yeah and then he's like this confirms it is it does go off of what i think of and i mm-hmm. yes <laughs> i love how the first two is food because that would be me if i had <laughs> also they also explain that it was john's fault that when the uh, semis stopped and one of them went off the road it was his fault that they had turned into gi joe's, GI joe's. Mm-hmm thinking about the best birthday present he ever got which was a box of gi joe's that his uncle i think it was his uncle had bought him when he was like 10. and what happened when amy used it again she she gave everybody beards yeah her stuff was always so light (laughs) like because i think she gave a beard a beard at one point yeah (laughs) and then doesn't dave make a buffalo show up yes because they went below burger. It was insane. And then he makes the truck show up to kill the buffalo. Oh my god, yeah. I thought that was fucked up. He just, like, <laughs> made that buffalo. Wait, wait. Was it a truck? No, I don't think he made the truck. I, I thought that- it was the semi. I thought no, he I made thought- the semi. No, yeah, the semi came out of the fur gun. Did it? Okay. Yeah, and, like, sliced the buffalo in half. I'm thinking of later when they're all in the monster truck. Okay. Oh I- my god, where did that come from? A falconer, right? I don't know. Somebody yeah. brought it in. Somebody brought it, but like, John was driving it. Wait. Do you want to know? Okay, this is a part I wanted to bring up. I know it happens like a few minutes later, but I still want to say it because it has to do with the fur gun and it blows my fucking mind. When they're talking about how, like, you know, like they say like, oh, well, if you know someone, the shadow people can make it to where they're not there and you'll never have realized they were there. The shit with Amy's hand fucked me up when they finally say like the shadow person touched her hand and you realize that the accident was probably made from that moment and it wasn't actually there the whole time that shit fucked me up so bad 
Because if you listen to how uh, Dave describes it, you see him say that it goes inside her hand. Not that it goes into where her hand would be. It goes inside her hand. And then he quickly changes up to go back to how we always saw it, which is that she never had a hand there in the first place, which is insane. And it's like, it just, it just goes. And it's like, like, if the shadow people are really against John and Dave, then why would they do that? Because that helped them a lot. See, I'm pretty sure it's all just for their amusement at this point. Yeah. Like, there is... What, what, what can you do? What would be the point? I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> So that's the fur gun. And, like, okay, so we can jump a little bit in the story because, like, we have the fur gun. We, we've already said, like, you know, they use the fur gun to put beards on people and the buffalo. Like, they, they made it, okay? They made it to the spot they want to be at. And then yeah. this is, like, the crazy scene where we once again see that dumbass tenant and it piece of shit. Hate that guy. For real. So they all get captured and they're all brought to Tennant's tent. And you know, he he knows a lot more about them than he should. He gives Amy a towel and instead of offering her coffee like he does the other two, he brings her a cup of tea because he knew that she doesn't like coffee and that she would rather have tea. And he even knew uh that she would want honey and he left it on the table. But anyway, so yeah, it's really weird. And then they're going into this whole spiel about how there are no good guys and bad guys in life because blah, blah, blah. You know, from my perspective, I'm the good guy. From your perspective, you're the good guy. It's all very, you know, we've all, we've heard yeah. this before. Like, it's all about perspective. The, um, the good guys are decided by the victors, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in talking about all that, you know, that's when they make the comment about the masks and all that stuff. And then we see our main man, Lance fucking Falconer, come in and then say, free shit bird, while yes. that gun, that amazing gun that always reminds me of Rick from The Walking Dead, just points it straight at Tennant's head. And he's, like, <laughs> and he's like, you gotta call off the bombs. And then he's like, no. <laughs> So they're arguing. And then right after this is when the uh, the Nevaeh's dad yeah. shoots the um the jammer and blows it up and then because he saw the uh the email that she sent him yeah. and believed her enough to actually, you know, do what she needed. And so that's awesome the jammer's done that's half of their mission completed now they yeah. just have to show the world signs that they're actually alive so falconer is like we're winning now you have nothing left and then he's like dude we're still gonna get bombed even if they don't think that the rate of uh infection is 100 percent, they don't care we're all you're going to die and so Falcon. The mob's coming. Doesn't the mob like start running at them? Yeah. Um, no, that's a little bit later, I think. Okay. Because um, because that, that this is when they get into the uh the monster mob. truck, yeah. They drive towards the mob because the yeah. monster truck that just appeared. Yeah. It's just like, hey, there's a monster truck now. <laughs> the fur gun did it. Monster truck with the freaking Thingy that can make the spiders die. Annoying. Oh, yeah, spider. the thing on the top, the signal. So it had to have been a Reaper personnel stuff. Which yeah. I so uh, they drive into the blast zone as a, as a scare tactic to get uh, 
tenant to give up what he's doing and call off the bombs. It does not work one bit. (laughs) So, uh, I thought Falconer started beating his ass. Yeah, I think Falconer like beats the shit out of him for like a minute. And then someone's like, are we gonna stop this? And then we're like, no. (laughs) Marconi's there? Yeah, Marconi is there. So um, right after that, they realize that they have to either, oh, Marconi brings up a symbol. He's like, we need a symbol. Yeah. So they and so John has an idea. And he's like, everybody, everybody, get to the cornfield, go. He's like, I need a fucking hundred people over there now. Yeah. We have two minutes. And so at this point, we have two minutes until the aerial bombing of undisclosed. And so we're there. John is forming people, and so we think with how it's leading. Okay. We, I just want to know what 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 you guys thought the symbol was going to be. Same. I thought it was going to be a cross because <laughs> he points at Amy. I love how you two thought it was going to be a cross. I, I didn't quite get that. I honestly, like, I knew it was going to be some fuck shit, but I didn't have a thing in my head. Because it was John. I was like, this is going to be some fuck shit. I don't know what fuck shit. It's going to be some fuck shit. Because I didn't think that John was going to be the one leading the charge. And Marconi, because yeah. Marconi even brought up specifically the crucifix around yeah. his neck. And so I was like, okay, so we're going to make a cross. And then Christian, we will save the day once again. Yeah. <laughs> it still kind of does. And so they make the symbol, which is a giant dick, by the way. It's a giant dick. And then we get the transcript. Yes. That's the best that part. That the uh, people gunning and flying the, the aircrafts are saying. And then you just see them say, uh, sir? are those the Zulus down there? And then he's like, uh, affirmative. And he's like, looks like they're gathering. Is that a uh, hot spot? And he's like, uh, affirmative. Are they still in the blast zone? Uh, affirmative. <laughs> Seems like they're forming a, and he's like, uh, do you see this too? And then he's like, affirmative. That appears to be a giant penis. <laughs> it's like the, the, like the military abruptness of it is just like <laughs> so straightforward. Like, oh uh, yes, sir. That is a uh, giant penis being formed by the Zulus. <laughs> And then you see, it's like 30 seconds till the bombing. And then you see the planes all swoop down and then turn around. All of them do it. And then everybody's thinking that they won until you get to the very last plane. Mm -hmm. Suicide dives along with dropping its bombs straight into the tuberculosis ward and the other Reaper command centers that would have had all the incriminating evidence to put away anybody that would have worked for Reaper and all this other stuff. And it would have shed a clear light on what exactly happened. Yeah. So in all that mass hysteria, Tenet, of course, has gotten away. He's getting into the monster and he's driving away. So of course, now our main characters have to give chase because Falconer refusing to let someone else get his car. Is mm-hmm. like, this I'm not no this guy's going down and I'm gonna be the one to do it. They get all the way to the uh to the military uh blockade. Falconer, not Falconer, uh Tenet jumps out and he's like he's like whoa 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 blah, 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 and all this stuff. And then you see some of the Reaper Zulus that are like actually the monsters come in and devour him. Yep. 
Yeah. Which causes the military to freak out like, oh shit, the bombing didn't work, blah, 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 blah. And so they start firing on everything, but it was all just a ploy. And so now our main characters are getting shot on, the militia's there shooting back. And then- yeah. Yeah. Like the way they describe it, it's like so insane the amount of like gun power that the fucking has. And so you see Falconer get shot and he falls into a river, and then all of a sudden you see Amy jump up and try to stop everyone yeah. from shooting. Like a dumbass. Like a dumbass. And so the time freezes again, as Dave describes it as the moment that will never end. Because you know, yeah. time is relative. So in his eyes, he's seeing it the like no in slow motion but then time legitimately freezes because john took more of the sauce yeah it makes me wonder if the sauce was awake and kind of went into dave too so that he could be in the freezing time as well and so john explains that um in order for the time to start up you have to do what's needed of you and so he explains that uh that you don't know what it is and time could be frozen for however long you need it to be as far as he knows And then they notice a bullet very close to Amy coming straight for her chest. They're thinking about it. And then Dave says something about how Marconi was right. There has to be a sacrifice. John, in one of the the, the most gut-wrenching moments, starts like pleading for Dave to not do it. He's like, listen, yo, we can do all this stuff. Time's frozen. We can go piss off the, the Eiffel Tower and the Empire State Building. We can just go do whatever we want. Time is frozen. And then Dave's like, dude, you know me. I would not be able to relax if I knew she was left here and she could be in mortal peril as soon as time restarts. What if, you know, they get tired of waiting and it's just over? So... John once again tries to express his emotions to Dave and then Dave's like you don't need to say it man yeah you know how you feel and then oh and also John offers to do it himself and then Dave's like you know it has to be me and like he's just pleading with him to not do it so then we get to the uh to the point when Dave's starting to stand in front of it after saying his goodbyes to John, he's standing in front of a bullet, trying to like put the fattiest part of his body there so the bullet will get off course and, you know, not even touch Amy. Yeah. And then we see the reddish-orange blur. Wait, hold on. What about the Velvet Jesus and the shadow people? Right. I skipped over that. Nah. So, we're going back. Oh, yeah. I forgot that, that was a part of it. I, so, in order to... um. So once time freezes, they this is before they realize that there's a bullet in front of Amy. Yeah. Time freezes and um you see they start to see the shadows. Yeah. Shadow and they, a lot, a lot of shadow people. And so David even realizes that one of them is the one that had been personally screwing with him for a while now. Yeah. So they use the the wig gun to to bring in the one thing that could beat the shadows, the light. And they bring in that stupid velvet Jesus painting that's the last thing Amy has from her family. And they just start blasting the uh, them all down. And then the last one to die is the uh, David's personal one. Yeah. And he says something to him that basically translates to like, 
what is a man or something like that and like he just yeah. gets really existential yeah. crisis uh, that whole scene's hard to read yeah i actually have that page folded in my book because <laughs> like, i wanted to read it again it, yeah like i can't even recall exactly what, but like it just every time i'm it, i just sit there for a few minutes and i'm like hmm do i exist <laughs> he exists because you know what they can do yeah it's like and then, of course, that's also the one that takes Amy's hand, hand, as we mentioned a little bit earlier. And so after that, that's when they notice the bullet, and then they go through the stuff that I said a minute ago. And then the red-orange blur just jumps through the sky, and time unfreezes. And all they see is Molly uh, writhing and whimpering on the ground. And then there's Amy milt over the body, crying her eyes out. And it's raining and it's very sad and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden, uh, the fighting stops because they're like, wait a minute, if these guys are supposed to be zombies, why do they feel these emotions? They all come to like a piece. And then after everything gets done, one of the funnier, like the lighthearted moment at the end of it is when they're like, does anybody need a medic? And then I think Dave's like, no, we're all fine here. And then all you do. <laughs> from the river below say ah excuse me I bullets in me oh my gosh so my favorite thing about the sacrifice like when it's molly is when like dave starts talking about the fact that like of course it had to be molly like who would have given a fuck if dave or john would have been shot like who would have yeah. cared in the grand scheme of things because i love also when he brings up the point where he's like they would just dig some dirt up on us, put it in the news and make us seem like bad guys and everyone would be cheering that we died you know yeah that's ah. how the world is these days. Like, every, all of a sudden, everyone's dirty laundry just gets aired as soon as, like, anything happens. Yeah. It's always, like, the worst. But you can't pin shit on a dog. <laughs> Molly was the hero. She is the purest, best character in that book. Yeah. I know that was your least favorite part, Ella. So just tell me how you felt when you first read that. You saw that Molly was the sacrifice. I didn't even think it was real. I thought she was going to, like, be fine. Like, I mean, she did. Oh, we'll take her to the vet. Oh, you were in the first stage of grief denial. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was. You made it to acceptance, at least. No. <laughs> she's like, she's in book three. Don't worry about it. Don't worry exactly. about it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Three. She is in book three. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh. So after, after all that gets settled, we get Molly's funeral, which oh. is Sweet. and John gives like the best dog eulogy I've ever heard outside yes. of Marley and me like Marley has like a close second to that one yeah and so uh you get that and then they kind of go into like an epilogue because everything's been kind of settled down and you get uh John and Dave and Amy and what they're doing now Dave is living in a FEMA trailer that I think they placed on his old property of land. Yeah. And so it's sitting there. And then all you, you find out that it's about to be Christmas time or Christmas Eve, 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 as John would call it. And Falconer shows up. Falconer shows up. And then this is when we find out that probably nothing said in this entire book happened at all. Yeah. The way that they described it. Which is amazing because even though we kind of knew that David was an unreliable narrator because of the events of the first one and how that one ended, you kind of, we should have known better. Yeah. Yeah. But like, 
the fact that they, you know, you know, they, they're not subtle with it. They're like straight up on the nose. David says, I'm going to tell the most fucked up, weird version of this story as I can come up with. And there's not a damn thing the government can do to stop that version of the story from being told. Yeah. It was really good. I like that. I just want to talk about my favorite thing that John said. Um, yes. Favorite John in- moment. Go for it. Everyone gets a favorite John moment and a favorite um, Amy moment. Okay, um, I was. It was back when the time was frozen. The second time that they took the sauce and uh, the painting had just killed all the shadow people. And then John was like, "If there is, if somebody writes a part two to the Bible, that shit's gonna be in it." Yes, oh, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> I love that line. That was so great. <laughs> I think my favorite John moment is probably, probably. Not because it's really badass, but because it's really human. I just really love the depression that he goes through. Yeah. Like, just from a storytelling standpoint, it made so much sense. It was so realistic. You know, like, (laughs) you kind of see him going through the stages of grief, like, as it's going, as it's happening. So I think that part just really stood out to me, and it fleshed out his character a lot more. Yeah. My favorite jump moment is just when he's working at this, like, when... Dave talks about how he used to work with him and he wrote those stupid comments in the system about all of the people. And he's like, talks about like the guy with the tight pants. And then he's like, just, he's like the most, the funniest one is the one with the like English accent where he's like, don't forget this. And then also like the two girls that he has the date that he slept with them with on it. <laughs> it just shows how John is like, always gotta be silly, even at work. Like he can't, he's always gotta be John. So, okay, real quick, we're gonna do our favorite Amy moments. Okay, I don't want to take Ella's, but you told me yours was about the Z boys and what she said about them. Oh yeah, she was just like roasting them while they were like um, going through the the thing. She's like, Dave and John would have been so much better, and they have absolutely no training with anything. They're just like normal and like not stupid. <laughs> oh my god, the amount of savagery she she goes through in that like that moment. Honestly, I'm pretty sure my favorite Amy moment is probably got to be maybe just all the stuff she does in the tuberculosis ward where like she's basically saving the day like from behind the computer just like boom i talked to the man he's about to blow up the the jammer i done shown him the reports that are revealing the truth and then you know her meeting up with amy setting it up to where it's like her own personal workstation just amazing Yeah. yeah Yeah, mine is pretty much goes in with that. Mine is my favorite part is that the fact that like Amy went to school for all this tech stuff, but every solution she had there was just like more common sensey and more like smarts as opposed to text. Like, okay, they wrote down the passwords. Okay, I can find this guy on Facebook. It's just, it's so funny. Like instead of using all that tech training she got in school, she's just like being smart to get all the stuff that she does. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I think like that's just a big part of like, a big part of tech you have to use a little bit more common sense when you're fixing it than the people who broke it yeah and so because it's really late <laughs> and we're gonna have to go i'm just gonna wrap it up there i'm gonna say because we always do this on the book club segment i'm gonna have a discussion question for people to talk about but the discussion question that we planned i'm just going to write that in the book club what i'm gonna say here is tell us your favorite john and amy moment in the goodreads discussion in the description otherwise we don't really have time to get into that one because we could go on forever about that too. 
But that's it. Thank you very much, David and Ella, for talking about this with me because it was a good discussion. Yeah. I'm sorry, I rambled a lot, guys. No, you're good. You like kept it like you know more about like <laughs> you're basically re- refreshing us on what happened. Yeah. And this is so great. This is part two. If you're watching this ending here, you've made it through part two because now this is going to be a part one, two. We didn't plan it that way, but there was too much to talk about to just make one video about it. We've been going on for two and a half hours now. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) So, yes, thank you again for being on. I have to say one more thing before I go. First of all, these nice hoodies that Ella and I have are from my friend slash producer PME. Yeah, both of our friends. We've PME. known PME since high school. He's amazing. He created the intro and outro that's on this podcast. His link is also going to be in the description below. Please show him some love. And until next time, stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe.